0: Aren't you glad that our king is someone when a woman was caught in adultery, he did not pick up stones to throw them at her, but he caused all the stones that were in hands around her to be dropped. A king that when he was surrounded by thousands that were following him and bugging him all for his time, he still would take time to pay attention to a woman who touched the hem of his garment, who had been suffering for many years and healed her and they continued on the way to bring back a young girl a daughter of a man who had passed away back to life a king who did not despise the cross who through all of life loved everyone around him spoke truth exposed injustice and loved every single one of us to the point of death on a cross obedient to the father humble a servant to all and even from the cross as he looked and he saw people gambling for his clothes mocking him and spitting on him and railing at him he said father forgive them they don't know what they're doing all the way to the point where he breathed his last breath and he said it is finished and the curtain tore in two which symbolized access for every single one of us to the God that we had been separated from that is our king we praise the father because the father loves us he sent Jesus on the mission. We praise Jesus because he is the one who has begun to preeminence to all things and was obedient to the Father's plan. And we praise the Holy Spirit because he is the comforter that has been given to us to help us and be with us and live in us and be the guarantee and the seal of the salvation that has been given to us. Praise the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm excited about baptizing some of you in Lake Michigan in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because this is what we're here for. God is good. God is good. And because of what Jesus has done, Hebrews tells us, which is crazy, curtains tore in two. We can come boldly to his throne, which is what we're going to do now, and ask him to be with us this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your patience and your forbearance and your kindness and your goodness. You tell us you will not be angry forever. And Father, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Great mercy for everyone. No one is excluded. But Father, you see your people here this morning. All of us come with some type of baggage, some type of sin that clings so easily to us some type of pain, hurt, confusion, some type of spiritual struggle that feels like it's pulling us away from you, some circumstance that's causing us and tempting us to wanna profane your name, dishonor you. Father, you are the keeper. You will keep us, our going out or our coming in. Not let the sun scorch us by day nor the moon by night. But he who keeps Israel will keep you, you say. Father, keep us. Make us a church and a people for your name. Be patient with us. And help us to see your glory every single day in our life as we reflect on the good news of Jesus dying and then rising from the dead on our behalf. God, we say thank you in all of this. In the great name of Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. Well, 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 it is another day, another day where God has given us life, another day where we get to come together and we get to open up his word and we get to see what he has for us today. You're gonna to see this is something that we've been talking about. You've already seen some videos, you've seen an emphasis on our church here, Summit Church. You've seen some ministries already highlighted and you're going to continue to see certain things within Summit Church that we emphasize and we highlight coming in the next few weeks. And also you're seeing today a brand a uh, new series that we're starting called Blueprint. And you see there, it says The Summit Design. Now, I want to make a disclaimer. I want to just kind of share the hearts of the leaders here in this moment. There, there's something that we, we desperately don't want to happen we have to talk about our church. We, we wanna show where God is leading the leadership and how God wants to use us, and we wanna stir one another to good works. But the temptation always is, and I think for every church, the temptation always is to try to promote yourself, to try to make you feel, make, make people believe that you have the best and biggest and baddest and greatest thing going on. I hope you see that after today's sermon, especially that's the last thing that we want to do. And there's some awkwardness about having to even talk about ourselves. We think it should be that way, but we want to bring this new series to talk about Summit, but we want to talk about what the the plan is that we believe God has given every church and we just want to be faithful and obedient to the overall mission that God has given to us. And we are a body, a local body, come together and we have a mission to fulfill and God wants to use us and he can use us, but he wants to use us. And there's a very specific plan laid out in scripture. You're going to see over the next few months, us talk about our mission and our foundation and the pillars that we have out on the wall there. We're going to highlight these things and talk about these things because we believe these things from the word of God to be very, very important in seeing what the mission is, seeing what the plan is, and fulfilling that. Because that is why we're left here on planet Earth. And if you've ever sat and you've looked at the stars and you've pondered your own life, why am I here? What is the point of all of this? What is my destiny and my fate in life? We all have a specific, very different path of life, but we all, if we open our eyes to it, have this same goal And the same mission, and that is to bring glory to God. Now, our mission of our church is to glorify God by making disciples who exalt Jesus Christ. And you'll see the order in that. All about God getting his glory. He's telling his story. We get to be a part of it first and foremost about God getting the credit and the glory. How does that happen? Well, it's going to happen with his people who have been saved by him, who lift his name and praise him, accomplishing the great mission that he's left us with. We were not saved and then elevated to heaven. We were saved and we're still here for a reason, to be salt and light. So a lot of what you're going to see is this design for discipleship happen in the next few months. And we're going to look at a blueprint that we think is very, the leadership here we believe is very, very, very important. So let me show you this next thing on the screen. The, 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 the title of the sermon is called this, Before We Build. This is very important because what's the temptation that anytime uh, you, you want to do something, you want to just immediately start doing something, right? Everybody wants to get excited about what God is doing. We want to get busy doing something and, and getting our hands and our feet dirty and accomplishing things for the Lord. But Scripture is very clear. If the Lord does not build the house, we labor in vain. So it's very important that we start things off today with a sermon that, that analyzes the heart and gets things right and gets us in the mood and gets us in the perspective where we're looking at Scripture, seeing what is paramount for each individual's heart. Before we start building and seeking with great energy and zeal this mission that God has left us. So, so before we build, let's ask this question. You going to see it on the screen. Before we build, we must ask, do we possess the qualities of the people God can use? Before we build, even in our excitement, do you, do we collectively, as individuals, possess the qualities of the people God can use. And you're going to see this this morning, the qualities of people that God is looking for. So that's what we're going to see today. Before we build, I want to show you the type of people that God has reverberated through his prophet Isaiah in times past about a future generation, a future people that would serve him in a particular way, that would be the epitome of the type of people that he uses to build his kingdom. I think it's fair that some at church humble themselves and ask, is this us? Isaiah chapter 66, if you would turn there with me, Isaiah 66. Every time I go to these old prophets and I start looking through the Bible, trying to find where it is, I hear the wanna songs in my head. I, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. So if you hit Ezekiel, you got to go back a few verses, right? If you hit Jeremiah, go back one more verse. You'll see the book of Isaiah. It's a pretty big one uh, in the Old Testament. Let me give you some context. We're going back thousands of years. We're going back like 2,700 years. Isaiah is a prophet and he's speaking to Israel at a time when the kingdom had been divided. You have Israel, and after Solomon was king, David's son, David was the king who represents the anointed one, who is a type of Christ, that Jesus would come and sit on the throne of David, and then his son Solomon comes along, and Solomon is given all this wisdom, and Solomon amasses for himself all this wealth, and he begins to build this beautiful, wonderful temple, But in the process, his mind and his heart gets off what really matters and the kingdom ends up being divided as a result of that. So you have this northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and this divided nation of God. And then you start seeing through the Old Testament, these prophets write and they're bringing many different messages. Most of the time, pretty much all the time, it's turn your hearts back to God. Don't you see what you're doing? You're deceived, you're heading down a path. You don't see it. You think you're good, but you're not. Isaiah comes on the scene and he writes a very, very important letter. It's a, it's, it's many, many years gathered here, and Isaiah is going to speak, particularly to Judah. He's going to speak to Israel. And he's gonna, he's gonna warn them. Hey, listen, captivity's coming. God's coming, and He's gonna bring your enemies upon you. Turn your hearts back to God captivity is coming, but there's also this cry, this desperate plea constantly of, but if you turn your hearts to me, I'll forgive you. This, this desire of God says, I want to, I want to use you. I want you to be my people. Israel, I want to, I want to gather you to, and I want you to be my people to gather all of the nations to me, be my representatives, serve me, love me, be the people I've called you to be. But what's the tragedy of Israel? They constantly turn their hearts away from God. And so when you get in the last half of Isaiah, starting around somewhere like chapter 40, and you work your way through the book, the the theme kind of changes, and you're looking at this future generation, and you really see this emphasis of the new heavens and the new earth and this new work that God is going to do. And you start seeing all these wonderful predictions of Jesus coming on the scene and this wonderful thing that God is going to do that has already been fulfilled in Jesus and the new heavens and the new earth that is waiting to be fulfilled, talked about in Isaiah about the people that inhabit and cohabit his kingdom, but also the, the people that God is looking for, that he's going to use to be a part of this kingdom, but help build the kingdom. You know, when I think about that, and I think about Isaiah's message to the people, you know what happens in my heart? I'm like, I want to be that people. I want to be a part of that. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm not like these Israelites who we're going to see, these, these people who carried the name of God, but did not possess it in their hearts. We're going to look at it today. So are we the people who possess the qualities of the kingdom? Before we build, we must ask this. One thing I wanted to do is I thought about having some bricks here on stage and I would, if I were to pile the bricks up, right, stack them perfectly, just stack them up. Let me ask you this. Would something be missing? If I just stacked the bricks up and I came over and pushed it, they all would come crumbling to the ground. Right? Because when people build a house or you look on the outside of the church here, you see this building that has bricks around it. There's mortar that's put over each, every single individual brick. And there's this core and this thread of this material or this ingredient that keeps it all together. And without it, it just comes crumbling to the ground. How foolish it would be to try to build without this main adhesive that keeps it all together. Spoiler alert, it rhymes with humility. A humble people, we're gonna get into it today. Are we the type of people who possess these qualities? Isaiah 66, the first thing is this. The people God is looking for, first and foremost, are people who listen to his voice above all others. Isaiah 66, look at verse 1. He says this. Thus says the Lord. What happens in your heart when you are prepped to hear what God is saying? Thus says the Lord. Or in other words, God is about to speak. This is what God says. What happens in your heart? The heart of the people that God is looking for are people who listen and pay attention to his authoritative voice above all others. And let me tell you this, in your life and in the world, we are surrounded by millions of other voices other than his. Are are we the type of people who in our heart, like God knows it, he sees it, you know like that person, that person cares about my voice more than every single one around him or her? people who listen to God's voice above all others. Let me show you a few things. He says, thus says the Lord. Verse two, he says this at the end of verse two, declares the Lord. Also in verse two, at the end, he says, those who tremble at my word in chat in verse four of 66, he says, this because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. You see, there's a contrast here of the people who were not God's people and thought they were. One of the characteristics was when God spoke, they did not listen. When God speaks, do you listen? Let me ask you this question. How does God speak? Is it in the middle of the night, an audible voice? That's not the voice we're looking for. The voice is the voice of God that he has already given to us. He has spoken and revealed himself to us by his word. In the beginning was the word The word was with God and the word was God. Talking about Jesus in John chapter 1, Jesus comes on the scene as the embodiment of the word of God. God speaks and the universe is created. He breathes life and spirit into man and we live because of his powerful voice. I want to read you some verses because this is exhaustive and I could go all day just looking at scripture that talks about the powerful voice of God, but let me let me get our hearts in the right place. John five twenty five. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. What did Jesus say all the time? Those who have ears to hear, let him hear. The greatest judgment for anyone on planet earth would be that the word of God comes out and they're not given ears to hear and discern and respond to it. Psalm 29, David says this The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many wander, waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. John 10, 16, Jesus says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Guess who he's talking about? He's talking about us, hopefully. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Matthew, he was still speaking to, he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You know what the context is? Jesus is being baptized, not baptized. For the, not, not as a representation that his sins have been forgiven, but as obedient to God to prove that he was the promised and, and expected Messiah. He's being baptized and the voice from heaven opens up and a dove descends upon him. And this is what the voice from heaven said. This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. What does the voice say? Listen to him. Hebrews 2.1, the warning. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. John 10, 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, they follow me. John 8, 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God's. Whoever is of God's hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. John six sixty it is the spirit who gives life The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Isaiah 30.21, the same book that we're in, Isaiah says this, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, God's word is guiding us. Are we listening? Luke eleven twenty eight. but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And Jesus says that in response to someone in the crowd who says, blessed is the mother who nursed you. And Jesus is like, uh, no, no, blessed rather is the one who hears the word of God and keeps it. One more. Psalm 119, 105. You know this one. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. All through scripture, God is sending his word out into the world and he is looking for the people that will listen to his voice. Now, let's make it, let's bring it home. Let's make it personal. Is the voice of the Lord, It's God's word, the most powerful, authoritative thing in your life? Like how do we gauge that? Well, compare it to all the other voices in your life. Like when you hear the word of God spoken and it begins to confront a way of thinking or a belief that you have, do you defend that belief or do you begin thinking about the people and the people groups around you who think that belief and what they would think if you held on to this. And so you reject this in order to match this over here because we're so inundated and so accustomed and conditioned to worldliness. Every other voice in the world. Who are we listening to? Whose voice carries the most weight in our life? And some people, they live their life according to the blog of some person that represents something that they want to be God. Some people listen to actors and actresses. Some people look strictly to the government. Whatever, whatever the government says is exactly what I'm going to believe. Or whatever my teacher in my school says. Or, or, or whatever this, this group of people over here that I really want to be a part of, whatever they say. Or whoever's the, the minority or whoever's the majority or whoever's the loudest and the meanest and who would hurt me if I didn't follow them, I'll follow them. Whatever's going to cause me the most pain and shame, whatever's going to cause me to be rejected by man, that's what I'm going to follow. Like, that's let's, let's, what we're doing. We're asking and we're gauging our heart. Do we possess the qualities of the people that say, man, when I hear God speak, I listen. Listen, we're starting the sermon out talking about the word of God and his voice. And we're going to end it today talking about that as well. But we must move on. First thing I see is, thus says the Lord. Are we ready to hear what he says? Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declared the Lord. Second quality of the people that God is looking for are people who do not relegate him to the physical. Now, I know when I say that, it's immediately like, okay, you got to explain that, and I will. Those who listen to the voice of God above all others and those who do not relegate him to the physical. Let me talk about that a little That word relegate means to bring down in rank, to take something at a certain position and to bring it down. Now this starts to get into a little bit of what the Jews, God's people, who he called were guilty of doing. If you look at verses 3 and 4, do you know what you see? You see this description of these ritualistic outward expressions or ceremony, things that were a part of the law that God gave, that they were doing that God is saying was worthless, pointless. For instance, he says, he who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. Might as well be murder. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks, who, 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 who breaks a dog's neck, Meaningless. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood, an abomination. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. Well, all these things like, sound like things that God's people were supposed to be doing. Yes, they are. But here's the issue. All that they were doing were the outward expressions of the things that they thought would keep them good with God. And so what have they done? They've built God this beautiful temple. God's presence resides in the temple. And so every single day we do our good duty and we check off the list of all the things that we should do for God. And Isaiah even admits, yeah, you're doing all of these things. But what does he point out? The one thing that God wants is our hearts. And he said, that's the very thing that you haven't given to God That's when Jesus shows up on the scene and he confronts the Pharisees and he says, you bless me. He said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you that you bless me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And so what have the people done? They've taken God. They haven't let God be God, actually their God, and they're determining what box that they can fit God in and limit him to and say, if I keep God in this box, and I do it this way, I'm good. But God's word shows up to be like, hey, I wanna show you truth. You know what the truth is? You're not good, saying to them. God is not looking for people who will put him in this box, which is what the rest of the world does in religion or in their thoughts of God. They always pull God down and they limit him to the physical world. Outward expressions, things of appearances, right? So how would that translate today? We may not be offering sacrifices. We may not have to have uh, grain offerings and make sure we're ceremonially unclean. We may not have all these ritualistic things that we have to do based off the ceremonial, ceremonial requirements of the law, but the same heart, if we're not careful, manifests itself today, does it? Doesn't it not? Hey, you know what? I go to church. I pray, I read my Bible, A fellowship with brothers and sisters, all of these things that are good markers, good indicators, all the while our hearts have all our, its eyes on all these things of the world that we're passionate about, that we want, and that we trade God in for all the time. And actually doing the ritualistic religious things becomes a way to constantly stay back the, the conviction of the spirit that the one thing that God wants, we haven't given it to him. God knows it. God is in the heart. And so before we build, hey, God has given us, scripture tells us, God has given us all of these things in the past as an examples to us very clear thing so we could see, check our heart and say, you know what? Do I, do I listen to God's voice above all others? And am, am I guilty of relegating, bringing him down to the physical and putting him in the box? No, these verses, what is God saying? Heaven is my throne. I am in heaven and I sit on my throne. I am king. He is authority in a place that you and I are not yet All we know is creation. All we know is the world that we see. And he says this about the world that we live in. The earth is my footstool. Can you imagine that picture? God gives Isaiah this illustration, this picture, so we would see it and get the point. Like, man, we are down here. And God is up here. Man, what are we doing when we bring him here and we try to put him in this little box? Make him fit here. And go to bed at night feeling good about all the things that we do to try to please him. All the while missing the point of what he's trying to get at. Man, I want to save your souls and I want your heart. And I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength above all else. Because I'm worthy of it. I'm in heaven. And the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? Now, God isn't saying to his people, you're wrong for the temple and you're wrong for these things because God is the one who commanded these things. He's trying to help expose the heart and show what really matters, but also expose where their hearts were before him. And sadly, his own people had chosen to go after idols, chosen to go after the worldliness and the ways of the world and found rather to be In love with the world, rather than in love with him. And though they were able to do all the external things, God was able to see into the heart. And say, man, I can't use you. I want to use you. But I can't, because you do not love me. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? Now, full circle, we know the house and the place of rest. We know the big picture of what God is trying to say. His spirit descending upon people. Bodies being the temple of God, where God himself would choose to dwell and rest in and among his people. We talk about the presence of the Lord. God is bringing us to him. We are not bringing him down to us. And God wants to live in and among his people, something that is very relational, very personal, very intimate, very affectionate. Something that you cannot fake. He says this, all these things, all these things that you relegate me to, I made. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be. God is describing the type of person that he is looking for to help build his kingdom. And those who possess these qualities are the ones that God is going turn to listening to the voice of him above all others and realizing that his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, that he is God, he has authority. He is over us. And when our mind gets there and we do not relegate and bring him down, but we let him stay in heaven and we understand we're totally dependent on him, it brings us to this last important quality. God is looking not only for those who listen to his voice, Only to those who let him be God and don't bring him down, relegate him, but to those who have a humble and reverent spirit. Verse two, look what he says here. He says, But this, this is the one to whom I will look. So you might, could you imagine if all of a sudden, like, like, a tornado started coming through, and I said, But this is to the one whom I look, and we didn't know the rest of the passage and we had to run out like they would be like this constant like what is it who is he looking to tell me who is he looking to who does god want me to be I hope that's happening in your heart as you're hearing the voice of the lord speak through his word this is to the whom to whom to the one to whom i will look and look what he says he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word We must be a people that are humble and reverent, can't fake humility. Let's talk about those words for a second. Humble. In a physical sense, it would, it would refer to those like who, like maybe someone who broke a leg on the battlefield, right? And they're being oppressed, they're in a situation where they're unable to help themselves. So spiritually, when you apply that, it's us in this great state of dependence. Or we are maimed. Contrite is very similar. Contrite and hu- contrition and humility are going together. They both represent this lowly, weak, even poor person who is unable to help themselves. So when Jesus says those who are humble and contrite in spirit. He's not saying those who are humble and contrite. Because we do have a humbling contrite situation everyone on planet earth but there are those who don't see themselves that way who don't think they need help who don't think that they're in need of god who don't see themselves as maimed and and unable to do anything of themselves God's saying, I don't look to that person. I can't use that person. That person is filled with pride, which was the very thing that caused the enemy of God, the devil, to work in the garden and lead our mankind, humankind, astray and set us on a path of condemnation where the wrath of God is waiting to be revealed to all people who've turned away in pride and gone their own way. And God is pursuing us, trying to turn our hearts back to him But the person he looks to and the person who is able to hear is only going to be the person who understands their situation. I, I, I want to read you guys some things. Um, there's a book here, and some of you know it. Many of you have gone through faithful men, faithful women, where we've read this book by Andrew Murray, Murray called Humility. And I've read it like, how many times have we read it, guys? Like four times already gone through it? And guess what I found after reading it four times? Like, man, like I need to keep reading it. It's like the more that I read it, what I realize is the more how much I need humility of how prideful and arrogant I am. How much I, I might say with my lips I need God, but I live my life like I do not. I want to read you some things that come from this book, and maybe you'll be compelled to get it and read it. chapter one. But as God is the ever-living, ever-present, ever-acting one who upholdeth all things by the word of his power and in whom all things exist, the relation of the creature to God could only be one of unceasing absolute universal dependence. As truly as God by his power once created, so truly by the same power must God every moment maintain The creature has not only to look back to the origin and first beginning of existence and acknowledge that there it owes everything to God, its chief care, its highest virtue, its only happiness. Now and through all eternity is to present itself an empty vessel in which God can dwell and manifest his power and goodness. You come to chapter 2, Andrew begins to say this and he begins to repeat it. No tree can grow except on the root from which it spring or like a tree and the root is growing and we all begin in pride. All begin in the state of I am God. Naturally working from that state and unless God opens our eyes and our ears to see how desperately we need him. We will continue to grow from that root and become a a beautiful dead tree. Until a humility which will rest in nothing less then the end of death and self, which gives up all the honor of men as Jesus did, to seek the honor that comes from God alone, which absolutely makes and counts itself nothing that God may be all, counts itself nothing that God may be all, that the Lord alone may be exalted until such a humility will be what we seek in Christ above our chief joy and welcome at any price There is very little hope of a religion that will conquer the world. He gives a a quick list, and this is the last thing I'm going to read, and then I'm done. A quick list of some things that Jesus has said. Listen to some of the words that Jesus spoke. The son can do nothing of himself. I can, of my own self, do nothing. This is what Jesus is saying. God in the form of man as the image which we were predestined to be conformed to which means when Jesus speaks and is an example that's where we get our cues we listen to him we embody him we desire to be like him listen to what he's saying i can not of my own self do nothing my judgment is just because i seek not my own will i receive not glory from men i am not come to do my own will my teaching is not mine. I am not come to myself. I do nothing of myself. I have not come of myself, but He sent me. I seek not my own glory. The words that I say, I speak not from myself. The word which you hear is not mine. What in the world is Jesus trying to communicate? It's all about God, and He was obedient to him. Everything that he did, everything that he felt, everything that he longed for was his father. And he came and he brought the message from the father. Didn't come doing what he wanted to do. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he went and did everything that we know that he did all the way up to the point of the cross, dying not giving up not having his life taken from him but giving it up willingly and you come to philippians and what do you read this great picture of the humility of christ who became a servant and counted himself as nothing and didn't didn't grasp for equality with god didn't use that but willingly set it to aside and he lived as a servant to all allowing both his body and his time and everything about him to be totally consumed by the needs of people around him. Now, is this countercultural? What's the message that's in the world today? What would be the world's response to some of the things that we've just heard? How dare you talk about yourself that way? Don't you know how wonderful and amazing and powerful? You can do anything you set your mind to. Right And there's this this idol and this longing and passion that wells up within the heart of us as we look out into the world and we see those who are loved and who are cherished and who are upheld on pedestals and we long for it and we chase it and deep in our heart we want it all to be about us. We want it. I want the success. I want the money. I want the fame. I want the status. I want all of it. And the world touts that as a beautiful thing that you can watch on TV and cry as you see someone on stage. Get applause and glory from man because we all want it. And God is saying, you have taken my place. I cannot use a people that do not see me as God. Those people will be rejected. Those who will be in the new heaven and the new earth are those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who understand and can see clearly the wretched position that they're in. When they look around, they don't don't see bells and whistles. They see dead trees. They see black clouds. They see darkness and they see no light and they feel an encroaching darkness close in on them and they are desperate. And they look through the heavens at a bright tiny light and they say, like, come to me, God, give me help. Give me strength, help me. Or I will perish in the wake of this world that I live in. And God looks down and he sees that person calling out to him. He sees that person who's like, yes, you know the truth. You know where you are. You're not deceived. You're not blind. And you're willing to say, it. of course, I'm going to reach out to you. I'm going to grab your hand. I'm going to pull you out. Behold, those who dwell in darkness have seen a great light because Jesus has come and God is pursuing those in darkness. But those who are stuck in darkness and see it as a beautiful place that they want to stay and learn from are never going to receive the light, never going to be used by God. Never going to respond to the message. Never going to listen to the voice of God. Always in their thoughts about God, relegate him to some man-made thing. But God's people, Summit Church, God wants to use us, but we must be a people who listen to his voice above all others. Not say we do, but in our hearts, listen when he speaks. And not try to excuse it. Not try to make it fit what we've already grown up with. Not try to go to this place where it's like, man, I get this instinct within my heart and I want to follow that instinct, that gut feeling. That's sensuality. It's the way the world lives. Which is why he says this. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and those who tremble at my word. People who are humble and reverent. When God speaks, we listen. That word tremble, fear has an idea of a, a reverence. It, it's carrying with it the appropriate to response to the God who is all-sufficient, all-sustaining, who needs no one, who ha- lives in eternity, who has always been and will always be, who speaks in the universe is created, who suspends the planets in nothing, who has galaxies that are just out there so far away we can barely comprehend them just so we can see his glory. When he speaks, the appropriate response is trembling. Man, and then the world comes into your mind as you hear me say that. And you're like, man, I shouldn't be fearing God. God loves me. I shouldn't be fearing what he says. There's not a single one of us that wouldn't tremble at a grizzly bear in front of us. And God created that. Or these horrific disasters and tornadoes and weather that destroy and uproot houses and send trees and things flying into the air because of the vortex of a weather pattern. That when you zoom out just a couple hundred thousand miles from earth, you can't even see it. And yet, from our perspective, we are trembling in our boots. God made that. So when God speaks and it's his voice that has power, it is appropriate to tremble. To hear it. Louder than any bear growl. Louder than any hurricane. God is speaking. And he's worth listening to. If you go to 2 Kings 22 you can go there but you don't have to. If you go to 2 Kings 22 you will find a story of a young king named Josiah. Anybody out here named Josiah? Anybody here named Josiah? There he is. This is who I imagine this is who he's named after, right? Yes. Dude, you got a, you got a, you got big shoes to fill in this one, man. It's okay. What a great name. Josiah becomes king somewhere between the ages of like 10 and 14. And he's one of the only kings who turns the heart of the people back to God. And do you know what was the difference maker? Do you know what it was? Chapter 22. Do you know what happens? Verse 11. If you look through verses 8 and 10, Hilkiah the high priest came and said, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Somehow it had gotten lost. That's how bad things have gotten. That They didn't even know where the parchments were, where the recorded words from Moses, the foundation on which Israel stands, Jerusalem springs forth from. They didn't even know where it was. And they had to find it. They found it. Brings it to Josiah. And it says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. We don't tear our clothes, but that's a sign. Oh, a sign of great humility and contrition because as he read through the book and the law of God, you know what he saw? He saw who God was and he saw who they were and he saw the wretched condition of how much help they need. If you go down a little bit further, it says this, thus, Says the Lord. Verse 18, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, and he says this to Josiah, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. You have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. The disaster that Isaiah now is talking about that's coming upon them. Isaiah got to die and live in peace in the land because of him turning his heart to God in genuine humility. Only when he heard the the word of the Lord spoken, Red. He didn't harden his hearts like those in the wilderness, but he responded appropriately Appropriately to it. He trembled. Hey, listen, let me ask you, is there a spirit within you that when you hear God's word spoken, there's like something that's cutting, something that's like, I can't stand it, something that maybe you disagree with, and the spirit is not to learn from what you're hearing and try to change and adapt what God is saying but to try to rail against it and fight. I'm not gonna just assume that just because we're in your church today, we're all like good with everything that we hear. I'm telling you because the world has gotten its roots into us more than we know. Are we becoming a people that are ashamed of the gospel, not willing to speak truth, not willing to say things that would offend people but be done out of great love? Have we become that people? Because that people was the people in Israel who were not the people that God used to build a kingdom. I'm not making any assumptions here. I'm just trying to be obedient to what I think and what we believe is foundational. When we open the word of God and we say, man, it's about humility. It's about to be done with, we gotta be done with stop trying to exalt ourselves and create this consumeristic thing where we just do and, and like fill ourselves up and we feel great about what we're a part of. It's time to be done with that. Time to be done with it. That's not gonna sustain us. God will sustain us as we humble ourselves and we listen to him and we follow him in everything, looking to the gospel of Jesus and receiving the mercy of God every single day, on our knees, relying on him, saying, you've gotta do it, God, because everything that we build and everything we try to do at Summit here is worthless. If we don't do it in humility and let you build it, doing what you want. It's true at Summit and it's true in our individual lives. this is the person to whom I will look God is saying he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word I want to read you one last verse before we pray it's a few chapters back chapter 57 talking about building, right? We're talking about focusing on the things that God has called us to do and all the great things we want to do for the Lord. But this message is about what we need to ask and look at and what we need to inspect in our own hearts before we start to build. Look what he says. Isaiah says just a little bit earlier, chapter 57, starting in verse 14, God says this, and it shall be said, build up, build up. Right? So there's the command, prepare the way. Amen. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not contend forever, nor will I always Be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. If we're going to build, we need to be the people that God is resting with, that God is with. We don't go into battle without the Lord, and we take him with us through humility, through contrition, through being honest and appropriately responding to who God is in the wake of who we are. Now, we're not stuck in Isaiah's days hearing this message. We are not going into this captivity from Babylon and having to deal with reality that it's coming. It has already happened. And we stand on the other side of Jesus Christ, the preeminent one who has already come to earth, who has been the suffering servant, who became the transgression for all of us, who became sin, who knew no sin, who became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And who we are today, through the church of the living God, being the very people that God said, that Jeremiah said, I'll give them a new heart, a heart of flesh, not of stone, and they will understand and they will get what I'm talking about. It's not about these ritualistic things. It's about me dwelling in and among my people. And they will love me and they will follow me and they will struggle all the way along the way, but my mercy will be there the whole way. And they will not give up on on me. And I will keep them. And I'll begin a work in them. And I'll complete it. And I'll bring them to the end. And their eyes will open in eternity when they die. And they will see the inheritance waiting for them. And they will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to be numbered among the saints of God who endure to the end. And I can tell from my brothers and sisters, you want that as well. Let's pray that as we talk about the blueprint of God, the summit design that God has given to us, that it begins and it does not end and it continues always with people who will listen to God's voice above all others, who keep him in heaven as God over our lives and over the world. Don't bring him down. And those who are humble and reverent in spirit because we need him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you hear your people. You see us. You know every single facet and root and struggle and idol of our heart. God, I thank you for your mercy, but I pray that you would help us. Like Josiah, hear your word and respond. Not just be hearers only like James says, but doers, but but tremble at your word and see it as the most glorious, loving thing that we could receive. And God, make us the people. And keep us the people that you can use. And God, help us to build your kingdom here. Having your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because God, you alone are worthy. God, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.